Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Just Work Podcast. I'm Kim Scott, co-host, and I'm here with... Wesley Faulkner, the other co-host, here without a guest, but together again to chat about something extremely important, which is leadership. So one of the things that I would love to do is just sort of do a quick reading about what a leader's role is in preventing bias, prejudice, and bullying. You ready? Wesley, I'll lay it on you. You can tell me where I'm wrong. All right, here we go. How leaders can prevent bias, prejudice, and bullying from disrupting their teams. For me, the chief joy in being a leader is creating an environment where everyone can love their work and working together. That kind of working environment allows a team to achieve astounding results collectively and to be at their best individually. As a leader, you don't have to choose between collective results and each person's individuality. In fact, you can't get one without the other. The strength of the team is the individual, and the strength of the individual is the team. A leader's job. As a leader, it's your responsibility to do what you can to prevent bias, prejudice, and bullying from destroying respect on your team. This may feel like trying to prevent the inevitable, given the prevalence of these attitudes and behaviors. That's why it's important that when these problems do occur, despite your best efforts, you respond in a way that makes it less likely that they will happen again. Traditionally, too many leaders acted as though creating a fair and equitable working environment was a distraction from their real job to get shit done. But more and more, leaders are beginning to understand that they will have trouble getting shit done done unless they first create a reasonable, inclusive working environment. All right. What are you you thinking, Wesley? So I totally agree. I think some that old school of just get stuff done, put your head down and just check off things on the to-do list. Uh, removes the fact that people are people and yeah. human beings work and, and we are not all going to be able to focus when there are other distractions or we feel like what we're saying doesn't have validity. And that kind of shuts you down if you can't participate. And when we are working in a place that is focused on knowledge and knowledge work, being able to share that information is crucial to making sure that everyone has all the information to make the best decisions. So I totally agree with that. But also, if I could, yeah. um, one, th- one thing that we were talking about before we hit the record was a previous role that I had where I had several different direct reports. And one of the lines you, you, you wrote is saying that people make it an environment where people can love their work and, Um, I also learned about having the flexibility of allowing people not to love their work as well. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Sometimes people just do it for the paycheck. They just, it's just a job. They want to clock in, do their job and clock out. And they don't want to be a person that goes all in. They don't want to be a person that's seeking their, uh, a promotion or to uh, really dive deep into multiple layers to make sure that they really understand what they're working on. And that role taught me to respect it as well. Like, okay, just do the things that you're supposed to do. And then I will just make sure you're, 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 you're on point there. I won't give you extra work. I won't give you stretch projects and all that stuff. Um, So that's one thing that I, um, in terms of the, the reading that, that kind of, uh, stuck out to me of of something where it's not universal. Of course, the book is not supposed to cover all the bases, but, um, that's one thing that I would say that I, if I had to 
dig in deep for a comment. That's the one I find. I love that, actually, because I totally agree with you. I, I should have said enjoy their work. Work should not be a source of misery, in fact, but, uh, but even if you're working, you know, not because it's your great vocation, but in order to put food on the table. There's great nobility in having a job that pays the rent and puts food on the table and allows you maybe to pursue something else that you are passionate about. Uh, I think that I had a mentor early in my career who said only about three pe- 3% of people have a true vocation and they confuse the hell out of the rest of us. <laughs> and I think, uh, so a hundred percent agree. That's a great, that's a great catch. Thank you. Um, the other thing that I was thinking about as I was reading this is, is how, Throughout my life, I always imagined I was creating these, if not environments where people could love their work, at, le- at the very least, these BS-free zones. And and yet, often I, I pretended like things were not happening that were, in fact, happening because I didn't want to deal with them. And sometimes they were happening to me. Even Like, I always imagined that if I became the boss, uh, that I would, that people would quit, uh, you know, hurling bias, prejudice and bullying my way. And it turns out that's not the case. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know if you had that experience in, in your role, but, uh, but so maybe, maybe it would be useful to share a story about the time when that happened and why it was important for me to respond differently than, at, than I would have if I had not been the leader of the company. What do you think? Yes, yes, yes. All right, um, here it goes. Here it goes. So at one point, uh, I, had, I had co-founded a software company and there was a guy on my team who was he was really not doing a good job on this project. It was, it was failing. And I had to talk to him and I had to talk to him very clearly because the board of directors was actually pushing me to fire this guy. So I wanted to make sure that I was giving him uh, fair and good feedback before that happened. And so I sat down and, and talked to him and, and at the end of the conversation, I asked as I always wanted to, as I always do, uh, you know, what I could do or stop doing that would help him get this project back on track. And and so, sometimes people think, oh, you know, you shouldn't you shouldn't solicit feedback when you're giving it. But I actually feel like it's really important to do that. I think one of your jobs as a as a leader is to lay your power down and to to make sure that you're getting on the same side of the table with folks and and uh and on a level playing field so that they so if i was doing something that was tripping them up i knew about it i could stop doing it and instead of answering me in sort of a thoughtful way he he answered me by just trying to bully me you know the problem yes the problem here is you are the most aggressive woman i ever met and so now I have this dilemma because on the one hand, I'm trying to, I'm trying, you know, not to exert my power. I don't believe that command and control work. I, I really do believe that, that you want to, you want to solicit feedback and hear what people say. But on the other hand, I didn't feel like the problem was really that I was the most aggressive woman he ever met because 
if I was the most aggressive woman he ever met, I wasn't even on the list of the top 100 most aggressive men he ever met. And we were in an aggressive industry and his job was to deal with aggressive people. So I felt like his problem was not my aggression. His problem was my gender. And I didn't think that was, uh, that, that was fair game. And so but because I had, you know, experienced similar things so often and not as the CEO of the company, but just as, as, uh, as an employee uh, and usually a junior employee, I responded as though I were the person harmed and not the and not the leader, and I just I just let him get away with it. I I didn't I chose not to respond, and if I were not the leader, that would be my prerogative to make that choice. But because I was the leader in this case, uh, it I had an obligation to to point out to him that he was just using my gender to try to to bully me to get to get me to back off. And the reason was not because of the way he was treating me, but because if he treated me that way, how was he going to treat the women who worked for him or his peers who were women at the company? And that's why I had an obligation to say something. Uh, and I made a big mistake as a leader not to say something. At least that's what I think. not just fire him right then and there? Well, I, so I don't, I don't think firing him then and there would have been the right thing to do either. Because then he would have been, uh, he would have, he would have felt afraid to push back at me next time. But, but more importantly, you know, he would tell other people and then everyone would feel afraid to push back. And I really do believe it's important if you're the leader to create an environment where people can give you feedback. So I think it was important to create some kind of consequence for him but not too strong of a consequence. So like like, to feel retaliation. Yeah. Yeah. So like in retrospect, what I wish I had said it, which is not what I did, I did nothing. But what I wish I had done is to say, look, kind of what I just told you and what I was thinking in my head, look, I don't think, you know, your problem is not my aggression. Your problem is my gender. You said aggressive woman, not aggressive person. And my gender is not changing. And the reason I'm saying this to you is not because I'm not listening to your feedback, but because I don't want you talking to other women at the company in that way. That kind of, that, something like that, something along those. I don't know. What What do you think? What should I have said? Well, I'm just curious about the word aggressive. Like, what is the definition do you think that he meant by that? Do you Were you straightforward when you asked questions? Were you demanding results? Which part? was would be defined as aggressive i would, yeah. I would say that and, and, and also an aggressive way out of context like uh, uh, saying that someone if 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 someone's your uh, higher up in the company they they kind of tell you what you need to do and so that's kind of the role so what was the aggression outside of the norms i guess for that position yeah so that would have been a great question to ask him i, I don't think and I don't know. I didn't ask him the question. My sense was that he, I, I, I don't, I mean, every, the, the feedback I got from most people was that I wasn't being aggressive enough. So, uh, and that, that like anytime the word ag- aggression is being used around to a woman, I found it's worth asking the question that you just asked Wesley, because 
it's like people that people expect me at some level because of bias they expect me to be you know kinder gentler <laughs> leader and uh you know and they they often what happens is people will say and this is more biased than bullying, but people will say you're not likable. And I had gotten that feedback early, earlier in my career. You know, you're not likable because I, and I was behaving in ways that were similar, but actually gentler than my, my colleagues, my peers who are men, but they didn't expect me to be uh, anything like as aggressive as the men. Um, or it's a little bit like the negotiation bias, right? People will accuse women of being not as good negotiators. And it's not, I, I find anyway, it's not that women are not as good negotiators. The problem is that women get punished when they negotiate. And so they don't negotiate as hard because they're rational actors. Same thing with, with aggression. Um, so, I, I mean, I don't, I don't really know because I didn't ask the questions that I should have asked at the time. Yeah, I I think what was said there was extremely emotional, but didn't really quantify the harm. So if he would say why the aggression was an issue, um, like, does he not have a word edgewise? Does he not feel listened to? Mm -hmm. Um, The response was very, like, I um, (laughs) I was talking to someone earlier today, and they were having issues with um, their partner. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes people send me message because I, I'm out as a person who's neurodivergent. And so when they have issues, they're like, you'll understand. So I'll talk to you. And they were having an issue with their partner about it because it's something from a, the, like a LinkedIn post got a response that felt very um, triggering to them. Mm-hmm. And one of the, one of the, the, the things that I, I sent him as a resource for him to read and to kind of, to, to help get the vocabulary and the words to have conversations that are difficult was uh, a book uh, about nonviolent communication. Yes. And with nonviolent communication, it's, it's less about identifying the fault in the other person specifically, but saying the emotion or the thing that is bothering you about it. So it's a, a, it's a very, like when you're speaking, it's a statement of saying, this is how I feel and this is the, how it affects me. And then following up with, this is what I would like to be to change. Mm-hmm. And the the thing about what he said didn't have the component of what he, it, it doesn't have the self-reflection of understanding his role and, and how it affected him and being able to express it in a way that he can understand the way that he participates in the relationship. Yeah. Um, so, and I think, sorry to interrupt, but I, I think the reason that it didn't have that component was that he didn't actually, and again, maybe this is, I could be wrong about this, but my perception is that he didn't actually feel like I, the problem was that I was too aggressive, but mm-hmm. he was using my gender as a way to, to, to try to get me to stop giving him this critical feedback about the project. That was, Mm -hmm. that was, so it wasn't, and and this is the problem with bullying is that bullying often presents itself as though it's making this sort of logical case, Mm -hmm. but it's not actually making a logical case. It's, it's just, uh, it, 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 it's just trying to dominate the situation and, and often using some sort of, um, you know, pejorative, uh, 
pejorative language to to push you, you know, to to get you to do something or to to manipulate the situation. In mm-hmm. some way. I think I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I mean, yes, I agree. Uh, uh, minor spoiler. Uh, so one, I went and, and with my family, we saw the Barbie movie. Huh? And have you seen it by chance? I haven't. I, I, I have I've not. tried to get them to go every day for the last few days, but somehow <laughs> we haven't managed to get there. Well, there's a bully in it. I'll just call it that um, okay. to try to like minimize it. And uh, the the and the theme song that they play is "I Want to Push You Around." Yeah, <laughs> it's yes. It it's just it does feel that way. Of it's just a domination. It's a yeah. control. Yeah. Um, it is a power play. Um, to kind of like wrestle that type of uh, pers- pers- like, like you said, you can't change your gender. You're not going to change your yeah. gender. And I mean, I it's could change that, it, but I'm not going to. Yes. 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 But it's a thing where they take a position where you have no defense. Right. Yeah. Uh, and that's why he was kind of, I feel he's bringing up, but what my big curiosity is that you said you didn't fire him. So what happened after this? Did they stay, did you end up removing him further down the line? Did he end up performing? What, what was the actual relationship after this interaction? He did not improve his performance. The project failed. And then he, and then he did get fired for failure to perform. Uh, but in the meantime, between the time that it became clear that he wasn't able to do his actual job and get, get fired because this project was, was uh, which was like the core of his job, uh, he, he, I had an opportunity to see what he would do to other women in the company, unfortunately. Uh, so what happened was, uh, we were, we had a company all hands and we had pizza and this young woman who worked for him came up with a plate with a couple of eaten crusts, you know, just crusts of pizza on it. And she needed to throw it away. And he was sitting on a table and the garbage can was underneath the table. And she said, I need to, it was clear she needed to get to the garbage can. And he finished her sentence for her. And he said, get in between my legs. And that's the problem. Like, right. That's yeah. You, it was, is that if you don't nip it in the bud, if you don't nip bullying in the bud, especially if you're the person who has some authority in the situation, then it escalates. It, it just keeps getting worse. Um, and yeah, so there you go. That, okay. <laughs> that, is why, that, that is why I should have said something because hopefully if I had said something earlier, then he would have, uh, he, he would not have done that to her. Maybe. Or two two other questions, if I can. Sorry, it's turning the mic around towards you, but that's all right. Which, <laughs> were there any warning signs before that talk where he said you were aggressive? Number one, and number two, what would you have done differently towards the beginning, like even interviewing or any previous interaction to kind of tease this out earlier? Uh, there probably were warning signs, but I wasn't looking for them. So I don't recall that. I don't recall sort of, I, I mean, when he said this to me, I was really shocked. So, so that, that was the first time it, it rose to the level of, of consciousness. I think that one of the things that I could have done was to, to, when I was interviewing him, uh, and when I was checking references, more to the point, I could have asked him, to give me some references, or I could have found some backdoor references 
from uh, people who had worked for him, and in particular, women who had worked for him or people from historically marginalized groups who had worked for him. Because I think you often uh, are going to, are going to get, that's where, that's where you're first going to see bullying. I mean, another, another thing that I often did when I hired people, but I didn't do it with him for some, some reason is I'll go out to dinner with them and I'll notice how they treat the waiter uh, or the, whoever's waiting the table. And, uh, and that will often give you a sense of how, how, how a person treats, uh, people with less, less power than they have, uh, because they're the, a, a person who is inclined to bully is much more inclined, you know, they, they rarely pick on someone who they perceive to be more powerful than they are. And it's interesting. You mentioned that he's, he wasn't necessarily a high performer and he had these issues. He was also a person that wasn't performing and he has these issues. Um, do you, by any chance, just trying to move into a place of compassion, do you think that ba- basically he was using the way that he treated other people as a, you know, grabbing power where he can because he felt it inadequate at his job and the role that he did? Almost certainly that was the case. I mean, that, and that is often the case when someone is, is bullying others. So, so like another thing I could have said to him uh, when, when he said, you're the most aggressive woman, I could have said, what, what is going on here? Like, I don't think I'm that aggressive. Like what, what's really the issue here? What's really going on here for you? And, and, you know, he might have said, I'm struggling in this job, or he, he might not have, but I could have uh, opened the door for him to share with me what was, you know, what was going on for him. I, I'm a big fan of Star Trek. And uh-huh. when, um, especially the next generation, and when Captain Picard had a dilemma or an issue, he would bring in uh, the cabinet or leadership, and it would be uh the engineering, some from engineering, some from mm-hmm. security and his number one or his second in command. Uh, they would have a doctor and also a counselor. Mm-hmm. And I really wish that there were internal counseling resources that yes. you could just say, talk to Deanna Troy because you have yeah. some issues going on. Yeah. <laughs> yes. um, only if, because it's, it's hard to, because we're not necessarily uh, people in the company in a position where we can do professional counseling and have that ability. And at the same time, have that professional distance, um, to, to, you know, to go to that level deep, to actually get to some core issues. Um, and, uh, I, I thoroughly do believe as well though. Um, and I think your book touches on this, that when you are, a leader in a company, when you are in leadership, when you're framing how a company treats its employees, every employee should feel like they are better leaving than they did coming into the company Yes, uh, because of the way that they're either being treated or how they are taught how to work with other people. Uh, And I, I, I know if I was ever the head of a company, that something would be part of my mission saying that we will ruin you forever, other companies, because uh, <laughs> we will do things in the way that they should be done. Yeah. Um, but it also is really hard. There's a lot of moving pieces. And like I said, that 
you kind of also need to like have that such an intimate relationship to get to the, the like the base of the point yeah to, to to have people not only feel that comfortable but be comfortable with themselves to be able to express that i think that is that is extremely well said uh and it's interesting you know in the, in the military they do have something sort of similar the the non-commissioned officer is someone who has had the job who's riding along beside the leader who's giving whose job it is to is to to give this leader advice and speak truth to power. And, and so I, you know, they're, they're not exactly a counselor, but there's something akin to a counselor, uh, which I think would be amazing if we had that uh, in, uh, in, in <laughs> corporate America. I think another thing about uh, this story that I would love to explore for a second for you with you, Wesley, before we wrap up is I think like as a, as a white woman leader, I have, it's complicated because on the one hand, I, I am a, as a white person, I'm sort of historically advantaged. And as a woman, I'm sort of historically disadvantaged. And so that's, that's complicated because when I'm laying my power down, uh, it's really important that I do that. Just every leader should do that. But also as a person who's historically disadvantaged, I kind of, I need a little bit of that authority as well. And so uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that or navigating that. Oh, hundred percent. It's, it's so hard and it changes from person to person. Yeah. Um, I remember um, a previous job that I had, I was uh, in marketing, I was senior in marketing and I had someone junior working with me. And so I was a, black man and she was a white woman. Mm -hmm. And so because of the power differential, I was like, well, let me be extremely transparent about how much I make and, and what I'm being told. And I confided in her just so she could feel and know if she's getting paid fairly and understanding the work distribution. And then she took all that information and then just kept it private. Like she would then talk to other leadership and have information, but wouldn't share it back to me. So she just accumulated power rather than distributed or, or, uh, fairly. Um, and so that was one where I was like, oh man, I put myself in a a position where I myself am vulnerable because I, um, which I, I mean, I agree that you need to demonstrate, especially if you're a place of power, demonstrate how you want to be treated, but there's, a a person that I bring up often, Brene Brown, talking about mm-hmm. vulnerability and about how you should understand that dial about how vulnerable yeah. you should be uh, with the person that you're uh, working with. And that is, I think, something I still have not found the right like tune yeah. to move that knob. Yeah. Uh, I, I default to being more vulnerable than probably I should. Uh, I'm an open book and um, I just let the chips fall where they are, where they may, meaning that uh, I'm going to get hurt. I'll just take that on, but yeah. I don't want to f- feel like I need to worry about being on guard all the time. Yeah. I think Brene Brown talks very wisely about it and you don't want to offer your vulnerability to someone who's bullying you. Uh, and, and that, uh, that, that was kind of, that's a perfect example of what I was sort of res- wrestling with in the moment, even mm-hmm. though I felt like he couldn't bully me because I was his boss, but of course he could, you know, that's the, that was the problem. 
Yeah. All right. That's just like a, a response mechanism. Like this yeah. is what I, this is a defense mechanism of like, this is how I keep myself safe. Yeah. Yes. And so, sort of, I needed to realize that, that it was my job to respond as a leader, not as the person harmed in that, in that moment. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, as always, great chatting with you. I learned a lot. Uh, and uh, where where can folks reach out to us if they've got stories or want to jo- join us for the podcast? Well, we have emails. So we have hello at justworktogether.com. Uh, so email us and we will love to feature your story and uh, hear more about you and get you on the podcast if you want to share that to with us uh, in person and expose our readers to your experience, good, positive, uh, as the perpetrator or the, the person who is experiencing bias, prejudice, or bullying in the workplace. Thanks so much. Take care, everyone. Bye, everyone.